0: Book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B I B L E. The B I B L E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone. What are you doing? Uh, nothing, just cleaning up a little. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Welcome to week three of the Good Book series. Uh, the whole reason we're doing this series is because I, I've observed this after being a pastor for many years, being a Christ follower for many years, that uh, almost everyone has some questions about or issues with this Bible. or th- Not this Bible, this book called the Bible. Th- this book, often referred to as, as God's Word, has been described by many people throughout history as the good book. But not everyone would describe it that way. Maybe you wouldn't describe it that way. And what prevents people, maybe prevents you from describing it as good are there and your questions and issues with us. So we decided to do a series just to address some of those questions and issues. And uh, before I jump in today though, I do want to let you know about one of our short-term groups here. Uh, it's called the Bible. It's really a, a, a it's six-week group to help you understand what the Bible is and, and how to how to use it. The, the reason I just want to talk about this real fast is because I know in this setting, I can't answer everyone's questions, we can't have a dialogue back and forth, I can't address every single issue, and I know that in, in this short-term group, you get the opportunity to do that, to dialogue, to ask questions, to work through your issues, to really understand how to navigate through the Bible, just in a better way, in a more healthy way, and so uh, I would just encourage you, if, man, you're just like eating this up and want more, like sign up for the short-term group, you can sign up all week, it starts at the uh, early part of next week, so make sure you get, you get signed up this week. Uh, all right. So just so we're on the same page, I want to uh, I want to give a quick recap of what I mean by the Bible. And we've, we've looked at this over the last few weeks. Sixty six total books make up what we call the Bible. Uh, And it has two major sections. It has the Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament, referred to as the Hebrew Scriptures until about the 4th century, is a story of God and the Hebrew people. Remember, the Hebrew people end up becoming the Israelites, end up being called the Jews. So it's a story of God and the Hebrew people and God's covenant with them thirty nine books written over uh, twenty eight different authors written over a period of about two thousand years all all these all these documents in the Old Testament written before Jesus and then we have the New Testament the New Testament is a story of Jesus uh, and his church and God's New covenant available for all All people, 27 books, 9 different authors, spans a period of less than 100 years, all written after Jesus' death and resurrection in the first century. Now the big idea of this series that I hope you remember when this series is over about, you know, about the the 66 books, the 66 documents that make up this book is this. That the purpose of the Bible is, is not primarily for your information, but for your transformation, that God didn't reveal what he did through the writers of, of Scripture to answer all of your questions, all of life questions, or simply just to give you more information. He, he revealed what he did through the writers of Scripture primarily for your transformation. We've discovered throughout the last few weeks that the ultimate purpose of the Bible is to lead us to Jesus, equip us to follow Jesus, so that we're transformed by Jesus more into everything God created us to be. So just so you know, my goal by the end of the series is not to answer every question that you have or address every issue that you might have because it's just not possible to do it. My goal by the end of this series is that we all take one step closer to viewing the Bible and engaging with it through the proper lens, ultimately so that God's goal of transforming you more into who He created you to be occurs in your life. Now, I've also discovered, after being a pastor for many years and being a Christ follower for many years, that many people know some Bible stories, but few people know the story of how we actually got the Bible. And I imagine if we did a survey, you know, passed out three by five cards to everyone and said, hey, write down how we got the Bible and turn it back in. We probably have as many different answers as people in the room and some of those answers would be like crazy and, you know. Now here's the deal. This may be surprising to you. Understanding the story of how we got the Bible is almost as important as knowing what's in it. Because if you don't know the story of how we got the Bible, it's easy to dismiss the stories in it. If you don't know the story of how this came to be, it's so much easier to dismiss everything in it. And I really do believe that many people's issues, your issues, would be so much more easily resolved if, if, if we all had a better understanding of how the, story, the story of how we got this. So that's what we're doing through a few weeks of this series. We're talking a story about how we got what ended up being called the Bible. The reality of it is, we talked about last week, the way we get a Bible is not the way the world got the Bible. See, when we get a Bible, it's all chapter, verse, mapped, and wrapped. I mean, it's got the two big sections. It's got Hebrew scriptures, Christian scriptures put together. It's got titles and headings and verses all over it. We got some cool maps in the back. It's wrapped in some awesome fake leather. Some of you get your name on it in gold. Like, that's how we get a Bible today. The problem is that's not how the world got the Bible. And the story of that happened sheds light on what's actually in the Bible. Last week we discovered Jesus didn't write the Bible. But Jesus is the reason we have it. See, the story of how we got the Bible does not begin in the beginning. It begins about two, toward the middle of the end uh, with four documents that doc, documenting the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, we call these four, these four documents the Gospels, but they wouldn't be called that until 200 or so years after they were written. The only reason we have a The Bible Is because Jesus was discovered alive after he was crucified on a Roman cross. If the story of Jesus had ended on the Roman cross, there would be no the Bible. Because there would be no story to tell. See, the life of Jesus was not documented because of what Jesus taught. The life of Jesus was not documented even because Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. The only reason that Jesus' apostles, those who saw everything he did over three years and heard everything he taught over three years and saw him die and saw him rise and, and were given authority by Jesus, the only reason that Jesus' apostles documented the life of Jesus is because what they and hundreds of other people saw they heard Jesus proclaim that he was the Messiah the anointed one the Savior the Son of God and then they saw Jesus die on a Roman cross and when he died on the Roman cross their faith and their hope died with him because messiahs don't die and the Son of God can't be killed but then they and hundreds of others saw Jesus alive and after they saw him alive, their faith was reignited in him as the Messiah, the Son of God. Their faith was reignited that he was everything he claimed to be because dead people stay dead. See, these four documents called the, that we call the Gospels and the other New Testament documents that we, know, that we have now in our New Testament, they were all written in the first century. And right away, because of who wrote them, these documents were considered by the first century church as valuable and reliable. They were considered sacred and inspired, and before long, they were considered scripture. So, but it's important to know, after these documents were written, that we now have in our New Testament, that we now have in our Bible, there still was no, the Bible. 200 years before one of these ever existed, there were only precious and valuable documents written by the apostles that gave 1st and 2nd and 3rd century Christ followers the stories and the words and the accounts of Jesus from those who saw him and knew him closest. And and uh, the, the, these documents, that the 2nd the, uh, the and 3rd century church they, they held them in high regard and as we talked about last week, lost their lives in order to protect. Well that kind of Catches us up with what we talked about so far. Today, I'm going to attempt to start answering a question. This will continue on to next week, this question. And I'm going to be addressing, I want to address an issue today as well. The question I'm going to start answering, attempt to start answering today is why did the Hebrew scriptures that we now call the Old Testament, why did the Hebrew scriptures get included in our Bible? see, our, our, our Old Testament, you need to know, it was not written to us as non-Jewish people. I, these documents that are included in our Old Testament, they were written long before Jesus to the Hebrew people. It's why they're called the Hebrew Scriptures, and explains God's covenant with them. Now, you may not have known that before this series, but now that you do, the question is, well, okay, if that's true, well, then how in the world did they end up in this? How did the, these Hebrew Scriptures end up in you know our Christian Bible? Because you're not Jewish, and if if you are Jewish, you're not Pre-Jesus Jewish, you're not Jewish, so if you don't know the answer to this question, you may never know what the Old Testament, we call the Old Testament, has to do with you. And if you don't know what it has to do with you, it's so easy to dismiss it, or it's easy to view and engage it through the wrong lens, which, by the way, you view and you engage the New Testament, Old Testament through the wrong lens, it will create all kinds of issues with the Bible. Now, the, I- the issue that I'm going to attempt to address today that some of us have is uh, the Bible is just another religion's religious book, like you're going, "Hey, every religion that's ever existed, they have a religious book that goes with that religion and the you know, Christianity is no different. And the Bible is no different. It's just another religion's religious book. It's similar to all the other religions' religious books. There's nothing unique, there's nothing, you know, different about it. Just trying to explain it in a, you know, some, you know, Christian way." Now, it's important to address this issue because if, you, if this issue never gets addressed with you, if you always continue to think this, you're never gonna have confidence with anything written in it. And if you never have confidence with anything written in this, you're, it's gonna be really hard to open up your heart and your mind to Jesus. And if you don't open up your heart and mind to Jesus, you can never be transformed by Jesus more into everything he created you to be. Furthermore, man, you just never, this issue never gets addressed. Your issues with the Bible will just grow and grow and grow and intensify. Now here's the interesting thing. This question and this issue are more intertwined than one would assume. So let me just kind of come out of the gate and give you the answer to the question of the day, which is, the only reason the first century church, and remember, church is a people, The church are people who have put their faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. And in the first century, the church, Christ followers, the community of Christ followers was was mainly comprised of Gentiles, of people who were non-Jews, just like you, just like me. So the only reason the first century church began to adopt the Hebrew scriptures as their own is because Jewish Jesus rose from the grave. Let me explain what I mean by this. Within a short period of time, I mean within a couple years, after Jesus' resurrection, some of Jesus' apostles who were Jewish left Jerusalem and started traveling all over the Roman Empire to tell Gentiles, to tell non-Jews about Jesus. So They're saying, hey, Jesus is the son of God, and we know that, and we believe that because we saw him die, and then we saw him alive, and then we had breakfast with him on the beach. Like, Jesus is the son of God, That, and so to, to, to have eternal life that only he could give, you need to put your faith in Jesus. Now, first century Gentiles, as, as, as you know, they were hearing this message, through, you know, for the very first time, they had some really big issues. Issues with putting their faith in Jesus, not because they didn 't believe the apostles that Jesus had died and Jesus rose from the grave. the apostles were very 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 convincing. they had some issues because these first century Gentiles were polytheists, which means they believed in many gods and they worshiped many gods. their struggle that these first century Gentiles have was giving up everything they had been brought up to believe and everyone else that they knew had been brought up to believe about the gods and embracing the idea that there was only one god now we can't imagine this struggle that they were going through because we're not we don't live in a culture that's polytheistic like, the only thing that I can compare this to today of how we would feel, what they felt, is someone who is truly, truly an atheist. I'm not talking about an agnostic, someone who acknowledges that there's a higher power or God, but just doesn't care. I'm talking about someone who truly, to their core, is an atheist, believes that there is nothing bigger, that there is no God, and then all of a sudden one day starts believing that there is. That's the only thing that we can compare what these first century Gentiles may, may have felt. Because in order for them to put their faith in Jesus, these first century Gentiles, they knew they had to embrace the notion that there was only one God. And that was completely unimaginable for them. The idea that there was only one God, it was novel and it was new to them. Which their other thing you need to know is in the first century, people didn't convert from one religion to another. Just, that thing didn't, didn't happen, hardly ever. Every region, every nation had their own gods. And most families had their, their family gods. You know, you worshipped your ancestors. And so when you moved from one place to another, you just took your gods with you. You know, you kind of took the statues, you put them in your backpack, you took them with you to that region where you were going, and you probably adopted the gods from that nation and that region as well. And then all of a sudden... These apostles come along of Jesus, these eyewitnesses of Jesus proclaiming there is only one God and salvation is available only through his son, Jesus. But you have to give up all these other gods that you have in order to put your faith in Jesus. And because of this, it's just a huge obstacle for first century Gentiles in the Roman Empire to put their faith in Jesus. But more and more and more and more did. And now what we call Christianity spreads like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire. Now, this is important when it comes to understanding why the Hebrew Scriptures got included in our Bible. See, only after Gentiles became enamored with one particular Jew, who would that particular Jew be? Jesus. Jesus. And why would any Gentile be enamored with this particular Jew? Well, it's because they put their faith in him. They declared him as their Lord after believing he rose from the grave. So only after Gentiles became enamored with one particular Jew did they become enamored with the sacred texts of the Jews, the the, the Hebrew Scriptures. See, before Jesus, you got to understand, before Jesus came along, Gentiles could care less about the Jews. Gentiles could care less about the Jewish Scriptures. I mean, every once in a while, a Gentile would convert to Judaism, you know, and become a Gentile version version of a Jew. But for the most part, most part, Gentiles weren't interested in Jews at all. And Gentiles were not interested in Jewish scriptures at all. Until these Gentiles put their faith in Jewish Jesus because of the Jewish eyewitnesses' accounts of Jesus' resurrection. And when now these you know, these, these Gentile Christ followers, these Gentiles who put their faith in Jesus, when they discovered that the Jewish texts, which were called the Law and the Prophets, that's how they were referred to, they were called the Law and the Prophets, and, and then, you know, they came to know as the Hebrew Scriptures, and now we call them our Old Testament. When these first century Gentiles who had put their faith in Jesus discovered that the Law and the Prophets, the Jewish texts, were the backstory of, To Jesus' story, that is when they became interested in the Jewish text. They were not, and this is important, they were not interested in Judaism. They had no interest in Judaism, which later creates huge problems between Gentile Christ followers and Jewish Christ followers. They were interested in finding Jesus in the text of the Jewish people. And to their amazement and to their shock and awe to a level that we can't even begin to measure. When they began to explore the Hebrew scriptures, they discovered that the Jews had always only believed in one God. whom they referred to, the Jews referred to as Yahweh. Now a little History. Before we get back to the, to, the, to the plot line here, last week we discovered that 1st and 2nd and 3rd century followers of Christ, that the church in 1st, 2nd, 3rd century, were persecuted by the Romans because they would not acknowledge the Roman gods and they would not declare Caesar as Lord. But what you need to know is that the Jews never honored the Roman gods ever and the Jews never declared Caesar as Lord. Yet the Jews were not persecuted like the church, like followers of Christ. Which raises the question is of why did the Roman Empire give the Jews a pass and persecute the church? Because the Jews were just as guilty as Christ followers. And the reason is because Rome honored, honored ancient things. Rome honored ancient things. And the Romans knew that the Jewish religion was older than any of theirs. Was older than their pantheon of God's. And even though Rome did not recognize Yahweh, the Jewish God, as one of their gods, they honored the age of the Jewish religion. So the Jews got a pass. Now back to the story. When, when Gentile followers of Christ in the first century began to explore the Hebrew scriptures... They were shocked to discover that the oldest religion that anyone knew about had recognized only one God from the very beginning. And the implication of that was staggering for them now that they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. The implication was that every other nation and every other culture had it. Wrong and the Jews had known that from the very beginning. And when these first century Gent you know, first century Gentile Christ followers unscrolled the first segment of the Jewish text that we called Genesis, here is what they found. In the beginning, God. Now Genesis, the book of Genesis, that, that's a Greek word for origin. And Moses wrote Genesis sometime in the vicinity of, let's just say, 1500 B.C., so 1500 years before Jesus ever walked this earth. And many of us have heard this phrase before. Some of us have argued for it. Some of us have argued against it. But so many of us have missed the implication of this statement in its, in its original context. This statement found in the Hebrew Scriptures stood alone in the ancient world. And it was shocking to first century Gentile Christ followers because what they expected to find is what they found in all other ancient creation stories, which is, at some point in time, the gods. See, the 19th, in the 19th and 20th centuries, so very recently... Archaeologists discovered some copies of creation accounts from other ancient uh, religions. Some Egyptian and Samaritan and Babylonian and Canaanite texts. And these archaeological finds created doubts regarding the origins of the the Jewish or the, the Genesis creation accounts. And the reason it created doubt is because these other texts were very similar or so they thought... the accounts found in Genesis. So the initial assumption was the Hebrews must have borrowed from other ancient creation stories. And if the Hebrews borrowed from other ancient creation stories, if it was similar to other ancient creation stories, what's recorded in the Hebrew scriptures is then not unique. It's just another religion's religious book. But what you need to know is that this view has pretty much been abandoned in scholarship. Not only does Genesis not borrow from ancient creation stories, but it stands in startling contrast to them. The creation account recorded in Genesis is a worldview unto itself. An extraordinarily different, unique, unlike any other, ahead of its time, worldview. So much so, the modern scientific community wouldn't begin to catch up with the first statement in Genesis until about 1927. See, Aristotle, he was a Greek philosopher, lived about 4th century B.C., known as the you know father of Western philosophy. Since the time of Aristotle, many scientists assumed the world always existed. They assumed that the world just was always there. But in 1927, a Belgian priest first suggested the, the theory that we now call the Big, Bang, the Big Bang Theory, which suggested that the world had a beginning. Today... Scientists pretty much agree that the world had a beginning. The thing that no one seems to agree on is how the beginning happened. But the scientific community pretty much agrees with the words of Moses recorded 3,500 years ago that in the beginning. Listen, we didn't know it. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. Not everything has a beginning and not everything has a cause. But everything that has a beginning has a cause. So the debate today in universities and the scientific communities and school is not does the world have a beginning. That's not the debate today. The debate today is whether it was a purposeful, personal, and intentional cause. Sermon for another time. Let's get back to what Moses was, Moses was saying today. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's interesting. So many well-intended Christ followers have unintentionally caused unnecessary issues for people regarding the Bible because they missed the point that Moses is trying to make here. You need to know that Moses is writing to ancient Hebrews who have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and been consumed with the pantheon of gods in Egypt for 400 years. And now, you know, he's trying to narrow their these Hebrew people's focus. He's trying to become atheists to all those other Egyptian gods and believe in the one true God. In Genesis, you need to know, Moses is not trying to explain exactly how God created the heavens and the earth. And this is where so many people get mixed up. I mean, so many well-intended people get all consumed with the exact timing, the exact sequence of Moses' creation account. And they start dying on all these mountains and dying on if it was six literal days or over 6,000 years. And if the world is 6,000 years old or six or 6 trillion years old. And we get all consumed and we just, we start just dying on all these different mountains of exactly how it happened. And that's not Moses' point to explain exactly how how this is this is written 3,500 years ago like these ancient people like think they can understand the housing Moses can understand the house and listen we don't even understand the house exactly 3,500 years later and we have a whole lot more science and a whole lot more studies been done and yet we don't even understand the house exactly so listen that's not Moses intention relax on the house. Just relax a little on the hows. Because so many times when we die on the how mountain, we create issues, unnecessary issues for people with the Bible. And those issues that we're creating may be keeping them from Jesus. So instead of dying on the how mountain, focus on what Moses was focused on. And what what, what Moses was focused on was the point that there is one God. Whom they called Yahweh. And that he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. Not the Egyptian gods or the Samaritan gods or the Babylonian gods or the Canaanite gods. Listen. I don't like to talk a lot about things that I don't, I don't know a lot about, but I did a little research on one of the Babylonian gods named Marduk and their creation account, and here's how that went. This is pretty interesting. According to Babylonian myth, Marduk rode in, in an epic battle of the gods on his two steeds, Slaughterer and Merciless, and he f- defeated the god Tiamat by shooting an arrow through her mouth and her throat. Afterwards, he split her body in half and made the heavens with her upper half and the earth with the lower half. And all I can think reading that is Sunday school for Babylonian kids was awesome. You know what I mean? Like epic battle riding in, you know. Like in the Hebrew scriptures, we find something extraordinarily different. Not even close to borrowing. No similarity with other ancient texts. The Genesis account is nothing like the Egyptian and Samaritan and Babylonian and Canaanite creation myths. Which brings us to the next extraordinarily different, unique, unlike any other, ahead of its time statements that Moses said just a few sentences later. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is is so extraordinarily different and unlike any other creation narrative. See, according to other ancient creation myths, the God created mankind as a second thought. Mankind is lesser than beings in order to appease them, in order to provide for them. Human beings are an afterthought, basically to take the load off the lazy gods. And consequently, no one had any intrinsic value. The gods are the only ones with value. But in the Hebrew scriptures, the creation of humanity is the pinnacle of creation, not the afterthought. Which means the the dignity of every man and every woman and every child was established from the very beginning. And this was unheard of. There was no parallel of this anywhere. Not even close. The scriptures of the oldest religion anyone knew about did what no other pagan myth did. In the very beginning, the God of the Jews, who became the God of the Christians, created us on purpose. He created us with value. And dignity the world is still trying to catch up to today. And only recently has the world begun to wrestle with the value ascribed to every man and every woman and every child and every unborn child and every color of every social, economic individual in every part of this world. But creator God established it in the very beginning. And God would say, you're not a means to an end. You were created in my image, and I made you as close to me as possible so that you can know and relate to me, and I can know and relate to you, and you can know and relate to one another. That's awesome. And then what comes next is so unimaginable. It's so unthinkable in the ancient world, and this statement is one of the reasons why scholars concluded that the Jews didn't borrow Anything but that this myth, as they would consider it, is a worldview unto itself. Verse 28, and God blessed them. The pinnacle of his creation, humanity. Not because of anything we did or didn't do, like the gods, the pantheon of gods, who bless based on what we do and don't do. But because of the image of who created us. Because we're created in his image. God's. God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in, in, in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground and this is so different and other than and unique he's saying not not worship animals in nature not make idols out of animal in nature not deify animal in nature of which every ancient pagan and every ancient culture did but instead he says rule over in the very beginning, God told the Hebrew people they were to make no idols out of him or no idols out of anything else. They were, he said there was to be no other gods before me because there aren't any other gods. He so said you will, you, you will not worship anything in nature. Instead, you will be stewards of it. Implication being, I created you with a purpose. And this is so completely different than anything the ancient world had ever seen or ever known. Now, many of us have never considered or missed the magnitude of these statements in the first book of our English Bible called Genesis. I mean, 3,500 years ago, Moses drops a bomb. The Hebrew scriptures introduce a radically different, unparalleled, and unique worldview that there is one God whom they called Yahweh, and that this one God, has been there since the very beginning, and he created every person in his image. And because of that, every person is created with value. Every person is created on purpose for a purpose. And when the first century Gentile church, the first century Gentile Christ followers unscrolled the Hebrew scriptures, they were introduced to these truths. They were introduced to to the God who gives every person the freedom to choose. They were introduced to the story of how all humanity chose to turn our backs on creator holy God by violating his created intent for us, that every person chose to sin and they were introduced to the one true God who never gives up on the pinnacle of his creation, who never gives up on you, who never gives up on me because Yahweh did the most ungodly thing imaginable. See, with every pagan God, you have to work your way to them. You work your way to them. And based on how you work your way to them is what you get next. Whether that's nirvana or Valhalla or whatever the, you know, the next is. But Yahweh, Yahweh came to us to reverse the consequences of our decision to turn our backs on him through sin. Yahweh sent his son Jesus to save us. And this is the most ungodly thing ever because no other, no other, this is so different than anything other. He He does it for one reason. Because he loves us. And that's the most ungodly thing imaginable that these people have ever heard That a God loves us? See, the Hebrew scriptures gave them, these first century Gentile Christ followers and us, an entirely new worldview. A monotheistic worldview. A worldview that there is only one God. A worldview that answers life's most important questions, which are the why questions. Why is there something rather than nothing? A little bit more personal, why are you here and why do you matter? That they and that you and me are not the result of a cosmic conflict between the gods. That they, that you and me are not created by the universe. That they and that you and I were created by the one true God in his image so that we can know and relate him and he can know and relate to us. That they and that you were created on purpose for a purpose. See, so when the first century Gentile cross followers explored the Hebrew scriptures for the first time, they were introduced to the one true God who saves, who redeems, who delivers, and who never gives up on his creation because he loves us. And it's been that way since the very beginning. And this is so cool. And just when the time was right, and just when he had everything the way he wanted it, Yahweh, God, sent his son to join us. The Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, stand alone from all other ancient religious texts. It's not borrowed. It's extraordinarily different, unique, unlike any other. And you can stand in confidence in that historical fact. The only reason the first century Gentile church Became interested in the Hebrew scriptures is because of Jewish Jesus whom they believed rose from the grave. And And what they discovered was something that was very difficult for them to acknowledge. What they discovered was that the Jews had the God thing right all along. Which only fueled their interest in the law and the prophets the Hebrew Scriptures that we call now our Old Testament. And it didn't take long for them to start adopting the Hebrew Scriptures as Christian Scripture. And when that happened, the stage was set for the Hebrew Scriptures to end up in in what we now call the Bible. But that inclusion would not come without its struggles. And that's where we'll pick up the story next week. But before we go today, I think we all owe it to ourselves. I think you owe it to yourself to ask, why am I here? And why do I matter? From the very beginning, God tells us through the writers of the Hebrew Scriptures that he created you on purpose for a purpose. From the very beginning, we're told that he created us. He created you in his image so that you and I can know and relate to him and he can know and relate to us, to you. And you can walk out of here today in confidence in that, not because the Bible tells me so, but because Jesus' death and resurrection proved it. Listen, if you believe that, if you believe you're created by creator God on purpose for a purpose, I would encourage you to start reading and viewing the Bible through that lens. Stop reading it simply to get more information about God. Stop reading it just to get all your questions answered. If you do, the issues with the, with the Bible and you're just going to grow and get to intensify. Engage with it to relate to the God more who created you and who loves you. And that's how God will use this to transform you more into who he created you to be. Lastly, before we go here, listen, if, if you kind of checked out, during this sermon as I was talking about created by God and his image and God created the heavens and the earth because you don't believe it i would just you know ask you well what's the it in regards to you and the world being being created by God that you don't believe is it that it happened or are you held up on how it happened Is it that it happened or are you held up on how it happened? So many people have walked away from faith because gotten all wrapped up with and argued around the hows and how it happened and then we go because of science, because of science, because of science. Let me tell you what, as a pastor you need to know if that's where you're at, I, science to me is stinking awesome. Like to me it's the coolest thing in the world. Like whenever like scientific facts like comes and you're, I just like, that's so cool, like I didn't know God did it that way. Like, it's pretty awesome. You know, like, but this is what we got to know. I love science when it's based on the scientific method. And we all know what the scientific method is. We learned it all in elementary school. There's a hypothesis that then can be tested and proved. Until it can be tested and proved, it's just a theory, And I've seen so many people have so many issues that God created based on theory. It's not based on scientific fact. It's not based on the the scientific method. It's based on theory. Listen, are your issues that God created the world or God created you, are they based on the scientific method? Are they based on theory? If they're based on theory, what you need to know, this is just true. What you need to know is it takes just as much faith to believe in that theory as it takes for us to believe in in Moses' words. It takes just as much faith. Nothing has been proven. It takes just as much faith. I I don't know about you, but I would rather have faith in this. Because it gives me confidence about the question of why am I here and why do I matter? Listen, if after careful investigation, you just just can't believe in a God who created the world and who created you. I totally get it. I totally understand. I, I don't judge you at all for that. But you need to know. Just you need to know I don't believe any of this and we don't believe any of this because the Bible tells us so we believe this because a guy named Jesus believed this the same guy who predicted his death and resurrection and then pulled it off and I say it all the time any guy who can do that I kind of just go with whatever that guy says from that point forward (laughs) this is honest to God truth let me just say this honest to God truth At the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. I could care less. I am not concerned if you believe everything I do in regards to how God created. Because that doesn't change anything in your life, in this life, or the next. The only thing I'm concerned with is you relating and knowing your heavenly father through his son, Jesus, because that's what changes everything. Let me pray for us. God, I'm just continued blown away just as I think about this and try to wrap my mind around it more that I just can't wrap my mind around all of it. I'm I'm blown away ultimately by your love for us. You've created us with a purpose so that we can know you. Like, it's just, ah, it's unfathomable to me. Um, I pray that this week, it was, um, that just sinks deep within us and just um, creates an immense amount of gratitude and awe of you. Um, and thank you for loving us. They, honestly, thank you for being a God who we just can't figure out fully. I don't know that I'd want to worship a God that I had all figured out. Um, God, uh, we praise you for sending your Son. For us, for dying on on the cross in our place, for our death penalty of sin that we deserved, and rising from the grave so that we can have life in you. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.